Hey everybody, this is a special episode of the Universal Design and Life and Work podcast. In this episode, I was interviewed by my colleague Pedro Lind and my other colleague Ranvay Ström, who is the director at the Oslo Met Gründergarage. And this interview was part of a larger project on technology cooperation with the Czech Republic. Hi everybody, good morning. So today the, the reason for this podcast is to talk a little bit about entrepreneurship at Oslomet. Mm. And uh, the motivation for it, as you may know, is about uh, the ongoing project that we have with Czech Republic. So Anis is leading our side at Oslomet and the aim is basically to try to develop materials and a course on the technology transfer and innovation. Now, what our colleagues in Czech Republic asked us to, to do was to collect a little bit of uh, knowledge, experience, things that uh, real experts in this field of technology transfer innovation could tell to teach us at OsloMet, but also them in Czech Republic. And uh, guess who we invited? So, <laughs> Anthony. Yes. Hi. Hi. Good morning, Anthony. Good morning, and uh, Rangvai. Uh, good morning. Good morning to you, sir. So, uh, first of all, I would like that you could introduce yourself and tell us a bit what you are doing. Anthony, do you want to start? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's see here. I'm a researcher, entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur now, I guess you could say. Uh, I've been working in entrepreneurship since I was a teenager and kind of migrated into academia from the business sector. And then I've been kind of working in a very porous kind of boundary between academia, the public sector and private sector. Rangvai? Yes. So I'm the director of innovation at Simla Research Laboratory and through a collaboration with Oslomet, we have this joint effort to build Gründegarasen, which is an incubator for early stage tech startups. So we have a location here at Oslomet to get the future entrepreneurs out of the university. And previous to being here, I was working in tech transfer for three years, helping to create entrepreneurs out of CERN in Geneva. And ever since uh, I was a student myself, I've been working with entrepreneurship, with real uh, entrepreneurs every day, also started my own businesses and always in the intersection between startups and academia. Can you tell us a little bit more about this Gründegarage? Because mm -hmm. this was something that I know that our colleagues in Czech Republic, they were asking us a lot. Uh, how did, do you know a little bit about the story? How did this start? Yes. So it originally started at Simla Research Laboratory. So back in 2013, after having had many um, experiments to see how can we succeed with innovation as a research organization, uh, Grindgrasen was actually an experiment. So one experiment in this series of experiments where we had an hypothesis to what would happen if we included also external entrepreneurs mm. into the research environment? Would there be uh, serendipitous interactions? Um, and, and would you kind of be able to start creating a more entrepreneurial mindset amongst the students, amongst the researchers? And already one of the first cases we included into Grindgarasen, um, you saw a researcher actually becoming part of the team. And, and later down the line, 
when we saw, oh, this actually works, we are able to create uh, more of an entrepreneurial mindset in our organization. Uh, we structured more the the, the whole incubation um, and how we work with this. And and now, like later down the line, it's it's become a incubator where you kind of create networks, knowledge, and also kind of an infrastructure to deal with the internal cases coming out of, it started with Simula, but now Oslomet, where they can actually uh, structure for growth uh, and also take inspiration from the external ones, the ones we started with, and kind of pick up their pace because they are used to working quicker, faster, and in and, and this way. And you kind of, when you take the internal cases inside of here, they also become better. And that's what we've learned throughout the years where it's very good to hear that uh, Oslomet is now coming more and more uh, closer to also to to Gründer Garage. Mm. Uh, on your side, Anthony, so y you have a company. Yeah, I have seven. You have seven <laughs> companies. My God, I, my, I, I had a question to you because I, I, I was all my life. I was researcher, academic. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, I don't know if I should say fortunately or unfortunately. <laughs> you tell me. A little bit of both, I'm sure. I mean, but yeah. I, I have I have a question to you. So uh, how can you combine both this? Because you 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 are a researcher. You mm -hmm. you are a professor, uh, uh, even if uh, only uh, partially at uh, at uh, OsloMet. But mm -hmm. I know that you have quite a lot of students under your supervision. Sure, sure. And you have some ongoing projects also with the Academy. Yeah. At the same time, you have not one, but seven yes. companies. How yeah. do you combine this? How, how, do you, <laughs> how many hours uh, do, do, you, do you need to work beyond the f 24 in it, one day? <laughs> it, it does sound like a lot. I, I recognize that. But um, I think it's important to point out that this is not like my own initiative. This is an initiative that uh, cuts across probably 100 plus people. So the teams that I get to work with in a number of different countries uh, are the ones who are driving the process forward. I like to say that I'm just there as a cheerleader. I'm just the one to say, everything's going to be okay. We're going we're gonna to doing great and keep us moving forward in a really positive direction. So I think the, the working life of an academic who uh, also uh, acts as an entrepreneur is I would say surprisingly easy compared to just doing academia. I know it sounds maybe like an oxymoron. How could you do more and it feel like less? But in all honesty, the connections that you get to bring in, the bridges you can make, and the work, the way you can take your work in the academy and create so much a stronger sense of impact and synergy by working as also as an entrepreneur, it just catalyzes growth practically exponentially in your workload or in your um, in the way you work. So again, it might seem like I'm doing a lot, but I'm doing no more than the average researcher. I sleep still seven, eight hours a night. You know, I don't uh, I still have leisure time. My weekends are completely free. So I think even compared to academics who only do academics, I'm working a lot less. Very good. So if I if I now want to to approach a little bit more my lifestyle to yours mm -hmm. and approach Rangvai with some startup, uh, there is still some hope for me. Then. Oh my gosh, yes. And I've gotten the privilege and honor to work with several of the startups that have come out of the Grunde Garage. And uh, I'm always shocked how 
forward thinking they are. And they're really challenging me in a lot of respects to advance my research and not to get kind of stuck to the old ways of thinking when it comes to working in academia. And so the papers that I published are often lauded by the academic community because we're pushing the boundary in such a significant way. And so it's not just about kind of nudging things forward. It's a it's a significant advancement in the field by getting to work on an applied research project that's cutting uh, cutting new boundaries. Very good. Uh, if if I may now, I, I would like to go a little bit into the details. So you, it seems that you both are playing important roles in the in the in the emergence of, of a, a company within the the academic context. How is it with so? How can you explain a bit how this how this starts? So you have an idea basically, and uh, when do you get the feeling that this idea is mature enough to? to move on and uh, how is it for instance with the funding the funding should be something very challenging i i think uh, w what do you want to say about that because basically who is uh, listening to us would like to learn what should i do to start something yeah. do you want to start i definitely want okay. to start <laughs> <laughs> because that's the thing yeah. about starting mm. yeah there's too many ideas yes. that are put in drawers oh everywhere I just want to think a bit further about this idea. Mm. I should just uh, elaborate a bit more. No, yeah. you should just start. Yep. I mean, the company creation is not the thing. Like you can start working on your company and, and create the company one year down the line, but you mm. should start today and saying, I'm build this th building this thing and kind of just start telling people. I'm, even, I'm, sorry to interrupt, even if the idea is still not very uh, concrete. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So, so uh, I, you should just start talking to people and immediately get their feedback. And the more feedback you get from the more people, then you will suddenly see it. Ooh, now I already elaborated too much. Mm. I should... Uh, go back one step, listen to all the input from these people, and that will kind of form the idea, the concept I'm working on, and like really accelerate me mm. way much forward. forward. Um, and by talking to people, you'll be so surprised by, again, the serendipitous actions of people, how, how people really want to help. So the moment you start talking about your idea like you're already started, like you own it, People will start to introduce you to people. Mm -hmm. People will say, I know this person that's working on something and it will grow. Mm -hmm. And that's really how you start. Yeah. And I'll, I'll even uh, back something up that Ranvi said there. Talk to people. It, mm -hmm. It's really, it's not even about the idea. I would even challenge that notion that entrepreneurship is about an idea. It's about a relationship that you have with your community. And it's about taking the scientific method, really, and applying it to market demand, applying it to social issues, applying it to technological issues. So if you're starting with an idea, you really don't have anything at that point. You just have a notion that's probably wrong. I'm going to point, I'm going to go and put that out there. If you think you have the greatest business idea, the chance is that you just one off, got lucky, very, very slim. You're more than likely, as you start approaching people, as you learn more from their perspectives, going to start pivoting in a number of different directions. And you're going to start scaling that idea down and maybe scaling it up a little bit and then changing the way you think about it. So, yeah, come in with an idea, 
but don't come in with like a precious gem that you can't possibly sacrifice because you'll probably fail as an entrepreneur very, very, very quickly. You'll get frustrated because everybody will be pointing out the holes in your idea and then you'll be going, oh, but that was my best idea and it's flawed. How am I going to take this forward? It's just, it's not a good psychological mental state to come into a field like entrepreneurship with. Okay. Yeah. But uh, not everything is uh, so so um, so good, so to say. There are for sure many obstacles. So for <laughs> those that would like to convert their research towards a startup, <laughs> what would you say now? Some examples of concrete challenges <laughs> or obstacles. Uh, perhaps obstacles is too strong. I don't yeah. know that uh, they should be prepared to face and uh, go around. I mean, I could I could go on for days about this, and I want to just huge caveat here. And any everything that I'm going to say has nothing to do with Gruner Garage. I would love to work at Gruner Garage. They have that dynamic, flexible mindset that's able to accommodate entrepreneurship in a real and substantive way. The challenge that we have is that the academic institution is like a 17th century institution, maybe even 16th century institution that we've slowly, gradually tried to iterate on. But even at its best, it's still working in kind of 1800s mindsets because the procedures that we've laid down, the value systems we've laid down, the very culture of academia kind of counter It's kind of counterproductive to uh, working as an entrepreneur. The timelines are massive compared to on, uh, any entrepreneur. If you approach an entrepreneur and you say, hey, I'd like to apply for a research funding. I'd like to include you on the grant. And then you tell them, well, we won't hear back whether we've even gotten the grant for six, nine, 12 months. They're going to look at you like, well, we might be out of business. We might be the next best thing by then. Just to hear back from the funder. Yeah, they, they are even another company already uh, one year Or, later. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. And then, you th so then that just gets you to the grant funding. I mean, the project itself may last, again, 12 months, 36 months, uh, 60 months. How are you going to, as an entrepreneur, know anything about where you're going to be at six, seven years down the line? You have no clue normally. You can't project that. The market just is way too dynamic. So there's a huge challenge of culture when it comes to bridging academia With, uh, with, uh, with, with entrepreneurs, and it's not the fault of the academics. It's the institution itself. It's the way the grant funding is set up. It's the incentives for becoming an academic. You don't get incentivized to become an academic because you have great market ideas. You get incentivized to become an academic because you did really well in abstract thinking. And that can be really useful in entrepreneurship at times for solving really complex problems. But the, the challenge is that we've never learned how to do that in our academic work. We've only ever learned how to work with theory, how to work with abstract challenges that we may be able to concretize a little if we're doing applied research. If we're doing fundamental research, chances of us being able to accurately predict where we could use that is, is, is very small. Uh, and we rely on the market to be able to do that. We rely on entrepreneurs to be able to look at some of the inventions that we've created and go, oh, yeah, you know how I could use that is this way, this way, and this way. So there's a lot to unpack there. I think one of the things Ranvi mentioned is just to start. And I think that costs you nothing in terms of your time. Just change your mindset. Change your attitude about your work. If your only uh, you know, reason for showing up at your job every day is to write a grant proposal, 
you know, do data collection analysis and pump out some articles, then maybe entrepreneurship isn't quite a good fit for what you want to do. But if you can change that mindset, say, hey, I'm going to operate way more flexibly, way more dynamically, really focus on the human relationships, you'll be fine. Hangwei, so not, not everybody that uh, uh, relates to, to you uh, in, in what concerns a startup is so successful as Anthony. What are the, uh, the people, the um, uh, challenges, those that are in Gründe de Garage and trying to, to launch their own uh, uh, startup? I mean, all, all startups kind of face the same problems. I mean, the most important One is getting paying customers. <laughs> like that's that's your <laughs> bread and butter. It's <laughs> really your bread and butter. And in the early stages, you have to kind of juggle the processes of building your product, selling your product, mm. and getting enough funds to do that. So so that's basically the main challenges um, the the startups face. And kind of in the shadow of that. If you don't do it correctly, or if you don't have enough insight on how to to, to deal with these processes, um, there there's a whole line of other uh, challenges. So, for instance, there's a huge difference between the best entrepreneurs, those who really know how to to build companies, and those who have never seen people building companies or been in that space before. So, for instance, the best ones they can raise millions in weeks without a problem. Um, they can hire talent from across the globe without a problem. And, and that's mainly rooted in that they're either done it before, they have a track record, they're pinpointing on something, a problem that is so important to people and, and kind of have this combination. So if you look at the, the things that building your product, selling your product and getting funds for your um, problem, that's the real, uh, like the main issues most face. But actually, one of the things that gets harder if you're not like really excelling at, at the whole process of building a startup is getting the right people on board. Mm, mm, mm. It's, it's because you need a team. If you're going to build a business, you need a team. You need um, someone with the human skills, the business skills. You yeah, need yeah. someone with the technical skills. And, and if, if you're not able to attract a, a core team that will be dedicated, that will be able to take a much lower salary mm. uh, than, and, and be, know that it might take years before they can take up out the salary that they um, otherwise could easily get another place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, then everything else will be hard because investors will see, oh, you're not able to attract talent. Mm. Um, that then Uh, you will not be able to build your product and you will not be able to sell it. So, mm. so that's really what it boils down to. Are you able to attract the people around you that can help you succeed? Yeah. And most academics are knowledge creators, right? So we do research, we create knowledge from that research. And the needs of a, the average startup for knowledge really focus on kind of market research. And that's not so sexy for most academics. Most academics don't want a startup to tell them what to research. They want to come in with their grand notions of, oh, this theory and the way of doing this could be, you know, innovative <laughs> and wonderful. And then a startup's going to look at you and go like, but how do we productize that? How do we get that out to market? How do we get people to pay us for that? And they have no answers for that. So there's a huge disconnect there. And I mean, hiring an academic to do something like market research which most bachelor master's degrees can do easily, or you just hire a company, you outsource it very easily. It's like, 
it's it's basically like bringing a sledgehammer to a golf game. It doesn't make any sense. Like you're just overkilling the need for knowledge and the need for an academic in that environment. So there's again this kind of gap between the needs of startups and what is incentivized in academia. One more thing I want to point out because I think this is really important. Um, there's this book called Range. I can't remember the author off the top of my head, but it's an absolutely genius book. And it really taught me a lot about why I'm good at this whole innovation academia thing. And one of the reasons is that I didn't have a traditional academic background. A lot of academics, they pursue one field and that's it, right? They get their bachelor's degree in biology. They go on and do a master's in something biology, biology related. They do their PhD at a biotech firm or something like that. My background ranged from business to music to public health to social and political science to technology. I had a much uh, broader academic background than a typical academic. And I think you need that if you're going to work in entrepreneurship because you can't just see things from one perspective as an entrepreneur. You have to see things multidimensionally. And if you can't, then you're going to miss out on either a market opportunity or a chance to adapt your product to a new and different. Uh, way of working or way of using it. And uh, again, there's this, this gap between what we expect academics to do and what entrepreneurs actually need to be. Okay, so I, I, I'm not sure if I'm following Anthony completely in the sense that perhaps today researchers, we academics, and I speak for myself, I have zero experience as entrepreneur. Uh, but uh, I think Nowadays, since also in academic in academy, it's very important the part of interdisciplinarity. Absolutely. Uh, in research, uh, you, you, I think we are also forced somehow to be more flexible and interchange between different fields. Or, or I, I, I would say that I, I agree with you that many of us uh, is still stuck to to his or her own field from expertise from bachelor or master times still, but those are perhaps not so as successful, so to say, as others that are more flexible. They try to see also what are the interesting trends uh, uh, in research. And it's, uh, it's, to follow. It's different to be able to say, oh, I know that there's another field out there, or I work with someone who is in a different field, to being able to take on yeah. their perspective. Yeah, That's yeah. a massive yeah. difference. I worked in these interdisciplinary teams where you have mathematicians and artists and you have uh, graphic designers and computer scientists working together. But if everybody's got tunnel vision, then there's no way to connect what's going on in the work. But you have to be able to take yourself out of your own experience, your own specific assumptions around your field, put yourself into a different mindset and be able to make those connections that way. And if you can do that in a team, this has been proven, that if you can do that in a team, you're more likely to innovate, you're more likely to have a product that can go to market and be successful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I remember also, Once, in fact, it was a theoretical physicist in Germany mm. that uh, we, we were in, he was giving a seminar, a very interesting seminar, and uh, someone asked some, something about, uh, the, it, it was about statistical physics, and someone asked a question, and um, he said, that's a very interesting question, and in fact, it is being uh, covered now, I don't know if it was, I don't know, IBM or some company, there are some projects going on on that. And then the, the person in the audience uh, said, uh, well, okay, but uh, this is a very, uh, a question much on the, uh, under the umbrella of pure research. Mm, mm, mm. And uh, the speaker said, I'm sorry, but I don't know what is such a thing like pure <laughs> research. All research is applied research. But there is still perhaps, uh, I think it's 
what you are also saying a bit that uh, perhaps within the academy, uh, perhaps still this, there is this traditional way that we do research for the sake of research, so to say, with, uh, mm. with, uh, when, when in fact it should not be like that. So there should be always be a, a name. Uh, uh, for it. And we're speaking in a position of real privilege here because we're living in Norway, we're working at a Norwegian research institute, university, and the Norwegian Research Council has taken this on board in a real way. They put innovation at the top of the list in criteria when they're looking at uh, grant proposals. The EU does the same thing. They're putting innovation, they're putting applied research at the top of these grant funding, of these grant funding mechanisms. And so, Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense here. We kind of take it for granted a little bit, but this is not reflective of the rest of the world by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, when we get out of Europe and we get into Asia, uh, Africa, we get even into South America. Uh, I'm sure you bet have, might have better experience there than I do. But um, even in North America, the model doesn't necessarily dictate that an academic will have an incentive, a monetary incentive to be innovative. <laughs> That's uh, true, yeah. Yeah, I know plenty of academics in the U.S. not throwing shade or anything like that, but they do a lot of navel-gazing as much as academics anywhere. But still, like, if you look at universities across the globe and you look at value creation and business creation in the area surrounding university, it's massive. Like, there is so much businesses being created around the whole environment of, of a university. And the potential is for sure mm, mm, massive. And also, Anthony, you, you mentioned now the new funding, like mm. funding requirements, putting innovation on the very top. Mm. This is, it will be harder and harder and harder to attract research funding if you don't understand how to build businesses and how to understand innovation and the mechanisms lying behind that. And Anthony also, kind of pointed out this gap. There's a gap between the whole entrepreneurial mindset, the research mindset, um, and there, there is a gap, but also there are quite a lot of similarities mm -hmm. in the way an entrepreneur work and the way a researcher work. Like you, you have to really fall in love with a problem mm -hmm. you're working on. You need to manage a whole bunch of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. You need to work really hard and put long hours into the game. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a lot of the same things that makes a good entrepreneur and a good researcher. Um, but there are also some things that if a researcher wants to become an entrepreneur, should really learn and and ideally before it starts a venture so and and i think yes there are some tools yes it's something about the whole how to build a um business process but most no most no it's it's the it's mindset and that's why we have started to um to to create this boot camp which is called the grundgrassen boot camp Mm -hmm. It will be held as a pilot version from January to March. It's a 12-week long course to build the future entrepreneurs out of Aslamet. So there, if you're a master student, if you're a PhD student, if you're a postdoc, if you're a researcher, you can apply either with an idea or without an idea and actually get help to build teams and and develop a concrete project throughout the period like getting um input on on how to do the market assessment how to build a business model how to get funding um and during the whole course of this um 
of this training, you'll get input from real entrepreneurs, uh, real successful seasoned entrepreneurs that will mentor you and your projects. You'll have deliverables during this time so that your actual, like your idea is actually moved forward. And the most important thing you learn is the entrepreneurial mindset. And I think you may have some projects coming immediately from this, but it's also about really rigging for future creation of, of businesses out of the university. Can sorry, Anthony. Go for it. Just to pick this uh, this uh, keyword, I think this is important. It was also in the the list of uh, questions. Uh, mindset. Uh, can you give some? Can you characterize a bit what is what would be two three difference between the mindset of a typical researcher uh, and the mindset of a typical entrepreneur? I had, uh, for instance, I, I remember to work with some people from the um, uh, wind energy uh, industry in mm -hmm. Germany. And it was, in fact, a, a project paid by both sides, so the, 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 the state, the government and, and the private companies. And uh, <clears throat> our discussions were very interesting in the mm -hmm. sense uh, uh, that uh, I think both sides uh, uh, won a lot. But I had the idea that I, as a researcher, I was, for instance, if we came out with some interesting model, The approach of uh, of a researcher would be: Let me now explore this in more detail to understand if uh, it's really what I'm looking for, or if, if there is something else, and to have it really in a very clean way. While the people on the on the business side, they were saying that oh, this is already very interesting. Let's now start to discuss what can we do with this. So uh, it it could give the um, how to say the impression to a researcher that it's too fast, so to say. Do you agree with with this? Yes. Or, yeah. Absolutely, for sure. <laughs> like this is the main problem. Like so, and this is what would you were uh, uh, speaking about when you you tell us about the, the entrepreneur uh, mindset. Yes. Okay. So it, it's definitely um, that a researcher or an engineer will have this notion that oh i need to perfect my my the, the technology i'm developing it mm. needs to be perfect and oh it can have this cool feature and ah this thing and we really need to have this to make it as shiny and golden as possible which is also legitimate to 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 do it right it's, yeah i mean it's of course it's, it's our nature to do that but if i tell you and what we were briefly discussing earlier that basically all ideas killed by first customer contact. Mm -hmm. It's no point in spending long, a long, long, long time to perfect it okay. when you know yeah. it will change. Yeah. That will only kind of increase the risk of what you're doing mm -hmm. and the, the, the amount of money, time and resources you have invested and it can fail. So most who start like this and don't really have been working as an entrepreneur before, they will over-engineer it and they will learn way too late that I should have started <laughs> talking to people earlier. I should have started to sell my product earlier. Mm -hmm. My customers actually don't want this and this and this and this feature. They want something completely else. And if you have this very fixed mindset that what I'm developing, that, that is what I will commercialize. Well, then you will not be able to create a scalable growth company. No, very no, interesting. Absolutely. So Anthony is saying yes, yes, yes. Do you uh, want to add something absolutely. about this uh, mindset? Well, I think the mindset of a lot of academics is exactly as uh, as Ranvi uh, as Ranvi just says. I would want to add one element onto that, and I'm going to keep coming back to the institution of academia because there are uh, a lot of 
embedded bureaucratic systems within academia. And the intention of those systems is to maintain status quo. And when mm -hmm. I say status quo, again, I'm talking about status quo from the 19th century, not status quo today. Okay. <laughs> so Ranvi is able to do what she's doing because she's hollowed out a space within academia to try new things, to experiment, to do this pilot with this incubator, which is going to be amazing and wonderful and hopefully a fixture of, uh, of Oslo Met. But the traditional spaces in academia are not geared for that at all. They're geared to pump out what academics create, which is academic articles, uh, maybe connections to a certain degree, international connections with other academics. So, you know, that's a key output of, a, of an academic institution. And then, of course, the grant funding. So the grant funding all leads into the paper writing. And so there's not, not, there's not a juncture, not a clear juncture where you can really, in some ways, exploit the system to be able to create a business out of this highly bureaucratic uh, highly bureaucratic uh, environment. And so what I have found now, what I, I say all the time, is that I would never be able to ha do what I have done today because of the way these institutions are structured. The only way I was able to achieve what I was able to achieve as an innovator and an entrepreneur was because it was the, the, bu the bureaucratization of the institutions that I work at was a lot lower. There was so much more flexibility or so much more opportunity. The situation was so much more dynamic. I would argue that I wouldn't even be able to be hired for the position I have today, which would be a darn shame considering the amount of grant funding and papers I've published and businesses I've created. So I think as we grow these academic environments and as we layer on form different forms of bureaucracy, we have to be super self-critical. Because every new system, process, procedure we introduce is basically telling academics, don't be entrepreneurs, write more papers. So let me see if I can make a uh, here. I, I'm, try, I'm starting to see a pattern. So what can we tell us to researchers, students, uh, um, uh, academics that want to to move uh, towards entrepreneurship. So one important thing is that don't stuck to your dreams, idea, abstract ideas. So go ahead, move on, move on. Try to uh, uh, discuss with people. It's very important the feedback. See if the client or the, the audience that you are approaching, what is the feedback? Do they really want this idea or are you completely biased? That's important. The second thing is be prepared about the challenges with uh, with the uh, academic institutions, uh, and uh, keep tough. Yeah. I don't know what is your <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> your experience, so keep tough and uh, move on. The third thing that was mentioned that perhaps we didn't discuss so much in detail was about the team. You said that the mm -hmm. team is is fundamental. Absolutely. So this is not about one big guy, it's about the team. Mm -hmm. In this team, I assume that you will need people that uh, will basically put the money or bet that, okay, this is good somehow, let's go for it. And there are there are some people that you need to, to unfold the, the, the activities that need to be done. Will you involve here also bachelor students, master students? How is it? Uh, Anthony is saying not so much. 
probably I'm not saying the correct thing. Yeah, Please maybe. correct me. I mean, for me, the, 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 their title or their level of education has little to do with their ability to think creatively and critically. But what is the composition of a team? What, so what, for me, what, what I look for is, uh, is a high level of diversity as I can manage to put together. So I'm talking people from different backgrounds, different state ways of thinking, different life experiences. I mean, one of the most successful people that I work with has no high school education. And he's an absolute genius when it comes to entrepreneurship and innovation. And I seek his counsel on a regular basis. And I wouldn't even so much worry about setting up a concrete team structure. Getting immersed into an entrepreneurial environment means that you're part of a very broad network. And bringing people into, if we could say that there's a boundary of a team and those members being leaving your team, it happens all the time. Those boundaries are very, very porous. Finding people that you connect with, finding people who have different experiences that you are, than you have so that they can kind of check your assumptions is the most valuable thing. So diversity is... Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Number okay. one. Runway? Yes. Um, well, my take on it is that I mostly work with companies that should be able to scale globally, meaning that they have a very tough road ahead. They will, they will have to attract investments and convince a lot of people that they will succeed in doing what you're doing. So diversity for sure. And at least you need people who can play very different roles in your company. Again, you need to mm. have someone who can build what you're doing. If it's a technology company, you definitely need someone who can build, like, build the business side out, um, know the human side, know how to raise funds, or at least have the skills so they can learn how to navigate in this space. That doesn't mean that that person sh must have to be someone with a business education not mm. at all you have to have the skills mm -hmm. the, the skills to to be able to attract talent to convince people um and those two roles are definitely the most important if you're going to start building a scalable tech company it's the one who can build it and it's the one who can sell it mm. and again if you're going to build something scalable you can't have a too big core team no. It's very important that um, the ones who will like really um, go through blood, sweat and tears to build this, they should own a substantial amount of the company. Um, and this, the core team should be two to four people, maybe. Yeah, agreed. Two to four people. And then there's other ways you can work with um, work with people in the early phases, uh, it could be students, it could be uh, people on short-term contracts, it can be, and these are the ones um, that you should rather pay. Like you should pay those people before you pay the people in the core team, and they should rather own a great lot of the company. Because investors know that you need dedicated people that own quite a lot of the company and that are motivated to work long hours in the long run. So if you don't have that, if you have 10 people on your core team, for instance, investors will immediately get skeptical. They will be like, okay, but are you incentivized enough to go through several years without pay? And when you will be able to take out pay, your pay will be really small because you're 10 people owning mm -hmm. a lot of the company. Mm -hmm. yeah. So in order to attract investment, you should ideally, and, and this is only ideally, this is what makes it easier for you. You should be 
two to four people with with very diverse skills, maybe with industry experience from what you're um, going into. Ideally, also startup experience uh, and deep technical knowledge. Uh, if you have that, it will be so much easier for you to get the investment, the funding you need to scale your company further. So that does mean that that's the only solution, but that's the way to go um, if you really want to be able to scale. And I think it brings up this issue of how the members and the team function. And I think what a lot of new entrepreneurs kind of how they kind of slip up is they, they get a laundry list of all the skills they could possibly imagine this brainstorm anything that they could imagine that uh, they would need in the business and then they try to identify talent for each one of those things and that's how you end up with these teams of 10 15 people find the minimum amount of talent that you need to move things forward everything else more than likely beyond what Ranvi already mentioned, people who can sell it, people who can build the business, uh, can probably be outsourced. And there's so many great platforms for outsourcing things. We do it all the time with our marketing, our graphic design. This is just really, really easy stuff that you can pay a freelancer a small fee and get a really good product back that you can use in your work. And so we don't need a dedicated marketing staff in this environment if it's not a product that is driven by marketing in some sense of the way, in some sense of the word. Okay. Hopefully that made sense. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, lots, lots of sense. <laughs> Thank you very much. I have a, probably it's my last question. Patents. I'm sure that everybody that was listening to us from the very beginning that is in the academy somehow as researcher or, or, or student, uh, would always ask when thinking in entrepreneurship about if and if one day my idea, even if it is an idea now in, with all this, this setup that you described to us with a good team, small, diverse, expert, proactive, uh, we end up really with something very successful that can be now made as a, a patent. How is the process? Do you have experience with this? Um, I can start. So, yeah. so for the most part of our talk now, we talked about like the main things every entrepreneur will need to think about, um, independently of if you have a connection to academia or not. And there's for sure some things that are very specific to academia and the whole bureaucracy and process around building a business. And often, as you say, patents and intellectual property is, is an important part of commercializing research mm -hmm. um, and starting companies out of academia. And um, patents can be really important value drivers. And if, you, if you're commercializing something based on uh, something very novel, new research, um, that can be patent, that can be a good strategy. But you should know that patenting is a very, very costly, costly process. Uh, very, it can be very long. So you should know why you're patenting. Like and where well, also, mm. I assume, right? Yes, yeah. so when yeah. and where. It doesn't happen every day, every and, year. <laughs> and how will that contribute to creating a competitive advantage mm. in, in the business area that you're um, going into? So often from universities, yes it could be good reasons to patent. Mm -hmm. um, and there you can get support 
uh, also from the university that may have lawyers um, to do this, um, to help you with this process. And, and now that we're talking about this, like, yes, if you're commercializing something where you need to patent that is based on, on research, that's something you should consider when starting. Like you can always start um, talking to people, investigating how you can build a business. But if what you're building is based on um, several years of research from university, it may involve patents, etc. cetera. Um, you, you should kind of do a due diligence. Okay, mm -hmm. what's what's the contact I need with, with the university? How should and do the university need to be involved? And how does that kind of affect my strategy of building a business? That is important if you're building something based on research. Yeah, and it's also maybe a reason to involve students because academics can fall into this trap where whatever they've created under the university is property of the university. So if you have something patentable, patentable that you want to exploit in the market personally, and you're, you do it under the auspices of your academic position, then chances are you don't own that uh, the rights to whatever that is, unless it's very detailed in your contract or anything like that. Usually position contracts that academics sign say anything you've created is the property of the university. And so you need to bear that in mind, because if there is something patentable that, again, you want to exploit somehow, the university may just say, no, we're not interested in supporting that. You can't, you, we're not going to let you do that, basically. So what I do is I end up working a lot with students who in their projects, I make sure that they have the rights. The student has the right to the output of the their project, bachelor's thesis, master's thesis, PhD thesis. Not always possible, but sometimes you can get that clause written into a contract with a student that says, hey, they own the rights, or maybe they own the majority rights, or maybe the university has to be recognized, but doesn't always need to be recognized. It just, it all depends on that piece of paper, which brings into this legal issue around not only patents, but how you approach business and how you approach regulation and things like that, which is a whole other can of worms. And this is why it's so important for any university to have deep knowledge about what it will require to build and grow a tech company. Like mm. they really need the specific knowledge on that to be able to build the processes to help, to actually help yes. the academics yes. to be able to create these businesses because it can be so hard. And at Simla, for instance, our experience uh, with creating companies out of Simla, there, um, Simla may own or like help patent, but the, the shares are transferred to, or, or the IP is transferred to the ones building the company because that's important for investors. Mm -hmm. And um, and they would basically, if they're serious about building their business, they would probably get a leave from their position to be actually do that. And for, for Oslomet, it's a unique position now. It's a young university and Oslomet um, haven't had very structured approaches to commercialization. So this is really a unique opportunity for Oslomet to, to further build mm. commercialization, innovation, entrepreneurship in the right way. That would be amazing. I would love nothing more. I hope with our new rector, whomever that is, can help lead and drive that kind of change. Um, 
I could say I'll remain optimistic. But let me also in, in, incorporate in the in the list the also other universities. For instance, our our partners in Czech Republic probably they are also interested on that. So what you Rangvig are saying is that this mindset that we're speaking about is not only for for researchers but also yes. for those working and making a university uh, uh, work at the administration level. So this It's is also important that the whole. All, all, all the the different sectors of the of the academies need to 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 learn, so to say, uh, how is this more entrepreneur uh, approach to 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 research? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I say I wouldn't be able to do what I have done today, what I was able to achieve five seven years ago, because the environment for entrepreneurship from an academic standpoint has become more claustrophobic as time went by, as we became more routinized, became more bureaucratized. And so when I see the institutions, the institutional processes we're laying down now, I see it becoming harder and harder for academics to have that opportunity. I hope that Ramvi can achieve that vision that she has in her head, where academics have the space and the opportunity to be able to pursue those projects. Um, that would be amazing. That would be a huge change. Uh, from where we're at now. Yeah, and this doesn't mean that the university have to have a huge amount of staff that should support these people. It's having the right people with right insights and in some crucial roles, like some really knowing how to, to deal with IPR mm -hmm. and patents, someone really knowing how to deal with contracts mm -hmm. and 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 really know, knowing what it takes to build a company. So I already said the thing with, uh, okay, so for instance, investors uh, would want to see the IP with the company because that means the company is in control and that's important for mm -hmm. an investor. Another thing um, to, to really think about is uh, what it takes for a company to to scale and and the university's um, immediate feeling would be we should own as much as possible of this company because yeah. it can be a huge opportunity. But often what you don't see then is if you if a university owns 50% or something of the company, again, investors will not invest because they know this lessens the chances of the company to succeed, which will end in the university actually gaining less. So having some insights in what it takes for a company to scale, to grow, to be successful, will change like how you actually help them. Uh, succeeding and, and that that is crucial knowledge um, for universities and I, I I think for the future we will see it also um, iterate more towards it's a this. very important point I hope that many people that are now coming to my mind are listening to us <laughs> <laughs> before ending uh, Rangvai and Anthony do you have a last message to those that would like to enroll entrepreneurship activity from the academy one i don't know do you want to what you would like to emphasize from our discussion i mean i'll just say like you can follow me online dr anthony g uh you can see my website dranthony.design uh, i'm on all the major social media channels i just got up to 3000 uh, tiktok followers Uh, again, at Dr. Anthony G on almost every platform, I talk a lot about entrepreneurship, I talk about academia, academic life, and what it is to kind of take your ideas as an academic and actually put them into practice. Rangway? And I'd say if you really want to drive impact, 
try to start a company, start today, unless you think there's something like patentable, as we just talked about, just start talking to people. And for most cases, that will be the most important thing you do. Uh, and approach people who have done it before, who have gone through these processes before. You'll be surprised how willingly people are to help and approach environments uh, where you can meet other entrepreneurs, meeting other people who are going through this uh, journey. And if you're, for instance, at Oslomet, well, you can contact us at the Grundgrasen and see what's going on there or take part in the bootcamp. Ah, very good. That's <laughs> a wonderful ending. Thank you very much, Rangway. Thank you very much, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you.